Welcome to FOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. Turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah. And today I'm going to be ministering on hope. Everyone say hope. I think hope is something uh, that we desperately need. And I would encourage you if uh, when you get done today to uh, whenever this sermon gets uploaded to share it with, with a friend or someone that maybe wasn't able to be here today. Because I believe this is a word of the Lord that will minister to your heart. It's something that I've been excited about since last Sunday uh, when the Lord started speaking to me on it. And um, we're going to be digging into hope. I was a little bit afraid that my brothers, today we're going to be um, preaching my sermon, um, which would be fine. But it was it's nice to know that we're all on the same page. Let me tell you, like, how many have ever, or let me ask you, rather, how many have ever been in a place where it seemed like you lacked hope? You've been in a place where maybe you didn't know where the next paycheck would come from. Maybe you've been in a place where you're just waiting on that call back from the doctor. Or the place where you keep waiting on when is this relationship going to be healed, or if I could just find a godly man or godly woman to be a part of my life. And many times we look for these things and we wonder, where is the hope? What's so wonderful is when we look at this book right here, it's full of people who are just like we are. We see Abraham who was waiting to have a child, wondering when will that happen. We, we see Jacob at the bottom of a pit being sold into slavery. We see Moses, who's a murderer, and then in the desert, and his own people are slaves in Egypt. We look forward into the New Testament and we'll, we'll see sisters who have lost a brother. And they ask Jesus, where were you? We see parents with sick children. And we see the disciples having followed the Messiah for three years, watched him be brutally murdered on a cross thinking that this man was the hope, and now they're huddled in a room, hiding and scared, wondering what happened. And so when we read this book, it's not just a book of all these rules and regulations as the world would like it to make it out to be, but it's a book full of people who are just like you and me who have wondered at times, Lord, where are you? Where's the hope? 
as a pastor, as a shepherd, I get up here on Sunday and I, I preach a word and so many times the cry of my heart is, Lord, if I can just preach the right sermon, then maybe that person will find healing in their body. Lord, if I just preach the right sermon, maybe that relationship will be healed at home. And it's this pressure and this weight that sometimes I put on myself. And the Lord speaks very clearly, Drew, you are not their hope. But I know the hope. And I imagine this is a struggle that all leaders of churches deal with. The struggle between of I have to fix it versus, Lord, I'm going to surrender this to you and let you handle this. And so this morning, let me point you at hope. Because I know this morning this room is full of people. I've been on the phone with some of you this week. It's full of people that need hope. And maybe you say this morning, Pastor Drew, I'm good right now, and praise God for it, right? It's, it's, a, it's a blessing when you can stand up and say, you know what, right now, I'm just full of hope. Praise God for that. But how many know there's a season that's coming where you're like, Lord, I need to hang on to your word again in this area. So I would invite you to take notes and lean in so that you can share this message of hope with others. Let me start off by talking to you what hope is not. Hope is not wishful thinking. So many times in our culture we use the word hope, and what we really mean is I wish, right? Um, some of you hope um, that the Cowboys will win a Super Bowl. Not in my lifetime. Right, that's just wishful thinking. Some of you, you hope that dinner turns out okay. That's me right now with my cooking skills. I'm learning. I'm learning as I, as I go. Um, we, we hope a lot of things. Um, most of us, we know our car will start, but sometimes when we're having some car trouble, especially on these cold, cold mornings and our car's been acting up, we hope our car starts, right? Um, but that's not biblical hope. That's just, man, I, I'm wishful thinking. I'm, I'm wishing I hope I win the lottery. Of course, I'd have to play first. You're, what's that? Details, right? Right. Um, I hope. I, I'll say this. I have one time I did win 50 bucks in the lottery. Um, I went and cashed it in. Um, but it's not because I played. It's because someone who lived out of state was like, here's a Missouri lotto ticket I found. Here, go cash this in. I was like, woohoo! I won 50 bucks and I never even played. So there you go. Hope. Hope. But what is biblical hope? Um, in the Hebrew, the word for hope is kava. Kava. And this is what it means. It means to wait for eagerly. And, and the roots of this word have to do with like a rope or a cord or twine. And it has this, this sense of twisting together and being pulled into tension into tension and this tells us two things about this kind of hope in the old testament one that it is strong and two that it's held in tension and isn't that waiting sometimes how many have ever had to wait for something before and you can feel that tension what a great and accurate word for hope 
for this waiting, for this, it's this twisting. But how many know as a, as a rope or a cord is twisted together, it finds strength. That there's actually a place of waiting. Because sometimes when we're waiting, especially remember waiting for things when you were a kid? Oh, my goodness. Some of you are like, when I was a kid, oh, my gosh. Like, right now, students, like, Christmas break is coming. You've got, what, five more days of school? And you can hardly wait, right? Waiting for Christmas morning. I, my girls and I were talking. Um, their life cycle tends to go like my life cycle was when I was their age. It went from, I can't wait for Christmas, I can't wait for Christmas, I can't wait for Christmas. And then Christmas would come, and Christmas would go, and then it was, I can't wait for church camp, I wait, can't wait for church camp, I can't wait for church camp. And then church camp would come and go, and guess what? I can't wait for Christmas, right? It's this waiting, and waiting can be so hard, and we can all feel the tension in waiting. And sometimes as we're waiting, we actually feel weakness in waiting. But I can tell you this morning, with biblical hope, there's actually a strength that happens in the tension of waiting. In Isaiah chapter 8 is where we're going to be going. And let me tell you a few things that we see in Isaiah chapter 8. In Isaiah chapter 8, things are bad. What we see in Isaiah chapter 8 is people believing conspiracies. That sound familiar? There's fear. There's dread. There's offense at the Lord. Like the Lord, like mentioning the Lord is offensive to people. It's st a stumbling block for them. Does that sound like today? In so many ways. There's seeking witches. Some of you are like, what? Yeah, seeking mediums and seers to see into the future and tell us what we need to know about life. And some of us are like, Pastor Drew, I would never do that. I would, I would never seek a witch or a medium or a seer to tell me things I need to know about life. And I would say, no, you don't. You use Fox News and CNN. Tight, but it's right. That's where you find your hope. There's distress, hunger, contempt for God, more distress, darkness, gloom, and anguish. And this is Isaiah chapter 8. But right smack dab in Isaiah chapter 8 lays verse 17. And it says this. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his fa face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. I will wait for the Lord, and I will hope in him. Now, this first word wait simply means just to wait, like when you go get your car worked on, and you just have to sit there for a while, and you just wait. But the second word, hope, is this eager waiting, this tension, like, God, I know you're going to do something, I just don't see it yet. And can I tell you this morning, we're not going to find the resolution to Isaiah chapter 8 right now. We're going to put that off towards the end of the sermon because right now things are bad in Isaiah chapter 8. Can I tell you Isaiah chapter 9 is coming? Let's go over to the New Testament in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, so many of us know this verse. It says, Now faith is the certainty of things hoped for a proof of things 
not seen. And what we find so many times in Scripture is that faith and hope are intertwined. Faith and hope are intertwined. What is faith? It's trust. It's trust. And you know what gets me right now? I was thinking about this. Um, I was walking through Hobby Lobby the other day, trying to buy art for my house. <sighs> I'm going to tell you something that's hard to do as a man is to buy decorations for your elementary classroom, go to a teacher's supply store, it's all girly. And second is to buy decorations for your home. And just it's all just and and there's all this stuff about faith, hope, and love. How I many know Paul said these th three things remain faith, hope, and love, and the greatest is love. Right? So they're like intertwined right here. And you walk through and all these beautiful girly things about faith, hope, and love. And I realized we live in a culture where faith and hope and love have just been emasculated. And can I tell you this morning, there's nothing more masculine you can be than faithful, full of hope, and full of love. I'm thinking about 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Where it talks about love. Love is patient and love is kind. And all these things that love is. And uh, Steph and I were talking the other day is you take that word love and you take it out because we're supposed to be Christians who are full of love, right? Take that word love out and put your name in there and see if it still describes you, men. Drew is patient and Drew is kind and all these things that Drew should be. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now, faith is the certainty, and I, I use the ASV version on purpose because I think it's a little more accurate to the original language. F faith is the certainty of things hoped for. Faith is the certainty of things hoped for, a proof for things not seen. And when we look at this word in the Greek, this word for hope, means to expect, and its root actually means to anticipate, and I love this, to welcome. Right? You ever walk into a house and there's this welcome at welcome? You walk, when someone shows up to your house, you, ex you anticipated they were coming, so you say, welcome. I was expecting you. You are welcome. We don't welcome people who are not anticipated. In fact, you show up to somebody's house unexpected, they're a little bit in this day and age, you're a little bit like, wait a minute, you should have called first. A text would have been nice, right? But it's this anticipation, this, this welcome, like you knew it was coming. You knew it. And this is the word hope here. And so when we put these definitions together, what we have is this eager anticipation as we wait. And some of you are like, I love the eagerness, I love the anticipation part, but I hate the wait. I hate the wait. Rewind a little bit to Hebrews chapter 6. Because now that we've defined what hope is, biblically, let's talk about hope itself and what the Bible says about hope. 
if I can find Hebrews in my Bible. In Hebrews chapter 6, we're going to go to verse 13. It says this. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. And this is, especially in these times, this is what people do. Like, I swear by my master, I swear by the king, I swear by... But the Lord... He swore by himself, and, and today we see people swear, and they who do they use a lot? The Lord, when they swear. It's a different kind of swearing. I work in a high school. I hear the name of the Lord all the time. I just remind them, yes, he is good, and if you're going to bring him up, then I'm going to talk about him. So it says that God made a promise to Abraham. He made a promise. Say promise. God made a promise to Abraham, and his promise was so sure that he actually swears by himself that it will happen. In verse 14, it, it tells us this, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. Like, surely. I love that word, Surely, it is going to happen. Why? Because I promise it, and I swear by myself. There is nothing greater than me than to swear by than myself. In verse 15, says, And thus Abraham, thus Abraham, having patiently waited, attained the promise. What did Abraham do? He patiently waited. Waited intention. He was intention as he eagerly expected. And guess what ended up happening? He received what he was promised. Verse 16 goes on and describes how we swear to a greater power. Verse 17 tells us that when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast the hope. I love this. It says that God, it's impossible for God to lie. Is it, did you know God's words are so powerful and truthful that if he says something and it tends not to be true, it has to happen. For example, in the beginning, God made this statement. He said, light exists. And his words are full of so much truth that light had to come into existence because he cannot lie. So if it doesn't exist, then he says, you know, there's this thing called light and it exists. Boom, light has to happen because God cannot lie. And he did not lie to Abraham. And can I tell you this morning, he has not lied to you. His promises are true. He has sworn by herself. And this is why, so that we might have strong encouragement to hold fast to a hope set before us. 
Verse 19 tells us this, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Excuse me, I'm reading 18 again. 19, it says, we have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone. And I, I love this, this language. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Do you realize when you truly have hope, not wishing, but when you truly have hope, what you have is an anchor during the waiting so that you are firm and you are secure. Why? Because you have hope. I have hope because God has said it. And when God has said it, I can take that to the bank because it is his word. His word is truth. And he cannot lie. This anchor for the soul. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. I'm going to encroach into Steve's territory a little bit here. You'll have to excuse me, Pastor. In Romans chapter 5, it says this, therefore, everyone say therefore, just making sure you're awake. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, uh, and remember that word faith is trust. Trust in who? Trust in Jesus. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Well, wait a minute. This is a different kind of hope. This is the kind of hope that rejoices in suffering. Can I tell you this morning, when you go through hard times, if you're struggling to rejoice in suffering, the issue is your hope. Because remember, we have an anchor that holds us into tension, into tension, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces what? Hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There is a hope that is given to us as we go through difficult times. Can I tell you something? Like, s crazy stuff will happen in your life. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. I, I remember a time I was on a flight to Africa. And during the flight, uh, we landed at an airport in the middle of Africa, and the missionary we were with got a phone call, Craig Rogers. Some of you know him. He's crazy. Um, crazy good, but he's crazy. He loves Jesus, and he thinks the word of God is true. Mm -hmm. um, he gets a phone call, and he says, okay, we have a problem. So what's the problem? He goes, well, our ride at the airport when we arrive in Zambia, they're not going to show up. They're not coming. It's like, well, is there someone else we can call? He goes, no, I don't know anybody else in that country. And he goes, I'm not exactly sure where we're headed. All I know, it's about nine or ten hours away from the airport. 
through Africa. I don't know. So we're stranded in an emerging country with no ride, just stranded in the airport. I said, what do we do? You know what he said? Pray. I said, okay, what else are we going to do? He said, no, Drew, I don't, we don't have any other option. We're going to pray. Y'all, I was, uh, like, I didn't want to be on this trip in the first place. Some of you remember when I was sent on that trip, I went kicking and screaming. Um, I was terrified. And he said, pray. And so guess what we did? We prayed, not out of faith, out of necessity. Because it's the only option we have. So we prayed, and then I prayed some more. And can I tell you, on that next flight, as we were flying into Zambia, I went from pray out of necessity to pray with faith. Because I was like, Lord, when you have no other option besides to trust the Lord, it's when you have other options that you get into a little trouble, right? So we land in Zambia, and when we get there, we get off the airplane. Of course, it's a much different place. There's military men with guns all over the tarmac, and it just—it's different. P other places in the world are different. And uh, as we get off the plane, there's this giant of an African man in this nice white suit there to greet us as we get off the plane. Oh, brothers! Hello, I'm here to pick you up. Okay, we have a ride. And it's not just a ride, but it's the former Secretary of State who's a general in their Air Force. And he's there to pick us up, to give us a ride, and take us to a, his house and send us on our way to where we need to go. He goes, but first, I need to make sure you have currency and a cell phone that will work while you're here so you can call home and call me if you get into trouble. But before we do that, we need to stop by Parliament. I need to make a speech. So we drive up to Parliament, and if you don't know this, this is where most of the world's copper comes from. It's called the Copper Belt. And the, the top of their Parliament building is just covered in copper, which they shine all the time, because you know from the Statue of Liberty, if you don't do, it'll turn green. They keep it shining and beautiful. And so we go from not having a ride to sitting in the SUV of a general. God is faithful. God is faithful. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, it talks about a groaning. Now, I can tell you, whenever I found out I was going to be stranded in Africa, there was somewhat of a groaning. But how many know sometimes when you go through difficulties, there is a deep groaning inside your heart? And I can, can I tell you what you're groaning for? You're groaning for hope. In Romans chapter 8, we'll start in verse 22. It says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together and the pains of childbirth until now. So I want to put this in context. The kind of groaning we're talking about isn't just a little bit like, 
Oh, gosh. I'm going to tell you something. This is the groanings of childbirth. Has anyone in here ever witnessed childbirth? I, I, I continually say, I do not know why we celebrate the kids on their birthday. After watching two kids be born, we should only celebrate the mom on the kid's birthday. Because that is the most intense thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And can I tell you, there's a groaning. This is an intense groaning. But can I tell you, sometimes in our own hearts, in our lives, as we're going through the difficulties of life, waiting, waiting for the miracle to happen, waiting for the thing to come, there's a groaning that's in our heart. And it's painful, and it hurts, and it's no laughing matter, is it? And in verse 23, it says, not only is creation groaning, but we ourselves, who have, been, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. There's this groaning inside of us for something more. For in this hope, say hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees, right? Because he already has it. But if we hope for we do not see, we will wait for it with patience. We will wait for it with patience. Underline that in your Bible. It seems to be a theme that is we have hope, we continue to wait with patience. But how can we wait for patience when we've already been waiting for so long? It's because we have faith and we trust the one who gave the promise. What if I feel like I can't wait anymore? What if I feel like I can't make it? Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know, for excuse me, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. You know what we call this? We call it hope. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those who justified, he also glorified. You know what I call this? I call this hope. Verse 31, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? You know what I call this? I call this hope. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charges against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? 
Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. No, and all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You know what I call this? I call this hope. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Can I tell you something this morning? Hope has a name. I've been talking about hope for about 20, 30 minutes now. Can I tell you, hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. And nothing can separate you from his love. I love it how Paul just kind of goes on this rant of all these things. And we think, well, what if I'm going through this circumstance? Can it separate me from God's love? And the answer to any situation you might be going through is no, nothing can separate you from his love. And can I tell you right there in Jesus Christ is hope manifested. And so as you wait... As you wait for that loved one to come to Christ, as you wait for that healing, as you wait for that miracle, as you wait for whatever it is that you're waiting for, can I tell you this morning, there is hope, and that hope is Jesus. He can do the impossible. Can I tell you this morning, Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus is alive, and can I tell you more, is that Jesus is coming back again. Jesus came the first time. If you look at Isaiah chapter 9, if we flip back over there. I guess, Robert, if you want to come up and hang out for a little bit, you can. In Isaiah chapter 8, things were bad. And yet it said, we will wait. We have hope, and we will wait. In Isaiah chapter 9, you, you might have heard this one before, and it's often read around Christmas time. It says this in verse chapter 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. This is hope. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, one light shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as the joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divided the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in the battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood, will be burned as fuel for the fire. 
you hear that? Everything that's been an attack against you is going to be burned as fuel for a fire. Why? What fire? The fire just to keep you warm and safe. Verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Can I tell you this morning, there is hope in Jesus. There is hope in Jesus and in Jesus alone. The fact that Jesus came, a baby born in a feeding trough, that's hope. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. That he lived this life to teach us how to live ours. That he died a death on the cross, taking away all of our sin and all of our shame. This is hope. That he rose from the dead victorious. This is hope. And that he's coming again. Like, like I think we often lose sight of that. Is that Jesus is coming again. And when he returns, how will he find you? Will he find you eagerly expecting his return as you wait? Do we have hope of the return of Christ? Will you stand with me as I read this last verse to us this morning? First Peter chapter 5. I'm going to read you a verse. It doesn't have the word hope in it at all. But it is hope. Before I read this, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? And this morning, what I want you to do is I want you to think of a situation in your life where you're like, Lord, I need hope. Peter writes this at the end of his letter. It's the very last thing he wants to get across. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, he says this, And after you have suffered a little while, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. 
to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. In your situation, whatever it is you're walking through, I'm telling you this morning, there is hope in Jesus Christ. And after you have suffered for a little while, the Lord himself, Christ himself, to prove his glory, will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It's his promise. He has sworn it by himself, and his promises are true. And as we trust in his promises, we walk in his hope. Father, I thank you this morning for your love and your mercy and your grace. I thank you for hope. I thank you that you made a way when there doesn't seem to be a way. I thank you for life. And Lord, as, as we wait, as we wait in this tension, Lord, we wait with strength, eagerly expecting you to do what you said you would do. We trust you. We trust you. And our faith serves as the certainty, as the evidence, as the proof that you will do what you have promised. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church.